And on this episode of Miami Miked Up, as we're getting closer to the end of 2022, we wanted to get some expertise on the Miami Dolphins as they have a huge game coming up this weekend in Buffalo. He has covered the Dolphins on and off for eight years. Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post joins me now. Uh, Joe Shad, thank you for taking the time to join me today on Miami Miked Up. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm much happier uh, being here in Florida than I will be in uh, Buffalo. <laughs> I purchased a new winter coat. I have some boots, scarf, some isotoner gloves, courtesy of Dan Marino. No, I'm just <laughs> but I, I will bundle up. I hope it's all uh, on the expense account for work, you know, having to bundle yourself up like that heading up there. But um, before we get into headed to Buffalo and everything that has to do with the Dolphins, I want to ask you what outside of work has recently brought you some joy? Wow. Uh, well, my daughter, you know, I have a 10 year old daughter and she's in the fourth grade. And uh, oh, amazing. She recently participated in the uh, Broward County uh, debate competition and she came home with a gold medal. So I was like, oh very my gosh, that's amazing. I had no idea that my 10 year old would have the confidence to stand up on stage and, and debate. But uh, I guess uh, she got it from her dad, right? <laughs> I guess so. I guess that must be where it comes from. That's amazing. That's so cool. And, and to be able to like, you know, go go out and dominate like that already in the fourth grade seems like a, a, a bright future. So happy to hear that. It was fourth and fifth graders. So it's kind of wow. like when a true freshman you yeah. know, goes out there like and then plays above, above the uh, age class or weight class or what have you. Um, so that's exciting. Good for her. That's amazing. And, and congratulations there. Um, and now we will get to work. Um, the Miami Dolphins obviously are having uh, what most would consider a really great season. Um, and now the last couple of weeks have had small, albeit real, setbacks. Losing to San Francisco, losing to the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, two very different games, but two similar results in losses for Miami. 33-17 to San Fran, 23-17 in a game that never even really felt that close against the Chargers. Um, so let's start here with what has gone wrong for the Dolphins and their offense over the last couple of weeks, and, and most importantly, why has it gone wrong? So Tua had a terrible game against the San Francisco 49ers, and that one was a little bit understandable because the 49ers have one of the best defenses in the NFL. They have Joey Bosa, who recorded three sacks. Uh, last week's result against the Chargers was a little bit more concerning because the Chargers statistically had one of the worst uh, defenses in the NFL. I said Joey Bosa. I meant Nick Bosa. <laughs> Nick, Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa, right? Bosa had three sacks for San Francisco. <laughs> Joey Bosa did not play for the Los Angeles Chargers, which, you know, that's a little bit concerning because the Chargers were without some of their key players. But what they did schematically really took away the middle of the field, which is the area that Tua Tungavaloa likes to work. And so head coach Mike McDaniel, even though he downplayed this theme throughout the week, he and the Tua and, and Jalen Waddle and Tyreek, they need to make some adjustments. They need to say, listen, now that these defenses understand what we're trying to do, you know, what kind of adjustments can we make to counteract that? Right, and we'll probably see some of those adjustments this upcoming weekend on Saturday in Buffalo. Now, a game that both teams are going to be dealing with the elements, and that obviously changes some of the things that you'd talk about, you know, projecting for the rest of the season. But this is a huge game if the Dolphins do want to keep any sort of chances of a division title alive. There are a couple of games back of Buffalo and would own the tiebreaker and be a game within striking distance with the win here. Dolphins team did beat Buffalo earlier in the year, but now these teams are different. The schemes are out there more. You know, 
we're headed to Buffalo with those conditions. So I guess my question would be, what's the biggest thing to watch for in this game amongst a myriad of options, including, you know, McDaniels coaching adjustments to uh, the weather, et cetera? Well, I would say two things. One, for the Dolphins to have a chance to win in this game, they're going to have to run the ball more effectively than they have throughout the entire season. Mike McDaniel came to South Florida with the reputation as a run game guru, and it hasn't happened. Now, there's a problem here. Jeff Wilson has a hip injury. Raheem Mostert has a knee injury. Teron Armstead has injuries to his toe, his knee, and his pec. All right, so there's a lot going on here that might inhibit the Dolphins' ability to run, not to mention the ice and snow and precipitation of wintry mix Mm. that might be uh, in the air and on the ground. You are a writer. And so can the Dolphins run the ball at all in Buffalo? Okay, if they can't, they're in trouble. And then the second thing is that the Bills are very, very good. They're the top three in offense and defense. Right. So where, if at all, is a vulnerability? It would be at the guard position, offensive guard. So what does that mean? That means that Christian Wilkins, who has been very good this year, mm-hmm. former first-round pick, really coming into his own, needs to kick butt. He needs to dominate in the trenches. And maybe Jalen Phillips spends a little more time lined up inside instead of on the edge and dropping back and edge rushing and all this. So Josh Boyer, the defensive coordinator, really, he's a smart guy. He understands that the Bills don't have many weaknesses. And now when you do get to Josh Allen, it's hard to bring him down. Right. But he can be sacked and he can turn the ball over. Problem is Dolphins haven't created a lot of turnovers. Bill's offense will turn it over. Dolphins' defense hasn't created a lot of turnovers. This is a terrible matchup. <laughs> the point spread is seven and a half at last check. It, it may as well be ten and a half. Right. The Dolphins are a tired bunch. Short week. Didn't practice. Banged up. Snow. It's like everything is stacked against them. So I don't know. This is a very, very difficult game for the Dolphins to think they have a chance to win. Yeah, and if they're going to win it, it's going to take some special performances from individual players, including Tua Tagovailoa. And, you know, he has had, albeit a bad couple of weeks here against two of the better teams that the Dolphins have played, a really tremendous season um, by all statistical measures and in terms of, you know, the steps we've seen him take and moving forward here with Mike McDaniel's offense. So, I guess the first question, and, you know, I feel like I've heard this in a lot of different places, but I'd love to get your take, which is essentially the pie chart of success on that Dolphins offense and the growth of Tua. How much of that is Tua's growth himself and becoming a better quarterback and and having his skill? How much of that is Mike McDaniel and this offense? And how much of the credit needs to go to really Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and the skill position players? Yeah, so I would go um, 30% Tua, 30% McDaniel, 30% Hill, and then 10% the rest of the stuff like Teron Armstead and Connor Williams. Uh, Those were good additions as well. So, um, you know, Tua deserves credit. He's got himself into better physical condition. He's healthier. He's physically stronger. He's worked on his deep passes. Um, He's put in more of a commitment off the field to studying film. He's worked hard to develop as more of a leader. It's not his nature to, you know, he's a personable guy, but it's not, wasn't not necessarily a his nature guy. to like 
call meetings or, right. you know, yell at a guy if he's wrong on a play. Um, so he's kind of coming out of his shell a little bit. It's been a, a very good season for Tua. He's met all of the markers that I said he needed to hit in order to come back next season which is basically top 10 in the NFL and passer rating. He's clearly going to do that. Top 10 in yards per attempt. He's clearly going to do that. Be a captain. He is already that. Lead the Dolphins to the playoffs. There's an 80 to 90% chance that they're in, even if they only win two of the last four. Dolphins could lose to the Bills, lose at home on Christmas to the Packers. And as long as they beat the Jets and Patriots, they're in. Right. So this team is likely headed to the playoffs unless there's a monumental collapse, which I don't foresee happening. No, not not when you see the the building blocks that have existed and, and all of the positive things that we've seen throughout this season with this team, including Tua's growth. Um, Mike McDaniel, um, you're around him on a consistent basis. He is this sort of... While both being this sort of quirky, um, you know, the nerd is also this larger than life character in this way. Um, and, you know, in all the stuff we see him say on the sideline, you know, it, today or earlier this week, he was wearing the I wish it were colder uh, shirt, sort of mocking the narrative this weekend of going to Buffalo. What's the reality like of spending a lot of time around Mike McDaniel? What type of communicator is he? And and what have you learned about him in the brief time that you've shared now through, you know, however many weeks of the season? Yeah, he's a cool guy. I mean, uh, what you see is what you get. He's the same behind the camera as he is off camera, which is cool. Um, you know, I've done this professionally for at least 25 years, and he's unlike any coach I've ever met uh, in any sport. He's totally different just in terms of his emotional maturity his uh, ability to communicate, his desire to help you. And mm-hmm. I, I don't mean just like Tyreek Hill and the offensive line coach, but like help me. Like he wants to help me do my job, which is really cool and really appreciated and really respected. And, you know, uh, he's also got humility. He's smart, but he deflects credit and attention to others and takes the blame uh, when something goes wrong. So he's pretty much everything you would want in a coach. And from a journalism perspective, uh, it's a lot of fun because he right. gives you quotable answers, which kind of reminds me, not in the same way, but you know, one of the first coaches I covered every day was Steve Spurrier. Mm. And this comparison is that when I covered Steve Spurrier, I felt that I could literally go with only speaking to him and I would be fine. Like I literally didn't need to talk to any other assistant coaches or players or opponents, and I would be fine. I could fill stories and notebooks, and I feel the same way about McDaniel. You know, if I know that I want to write a column, uh, he gets it. He gets it. He gets, hey, Joe's asking me this question for a reason, and he gives me really thoughtful, thorough, insightful, interesting, transparent answers. That's wonderful. And so, yeah, selfishly. I hope he wins a lot of games. Yeah. And I hope he stays around for a long time. <laughs> right. Well, understandably, and and I've been fascinated since since the day he came in, it seems like he has had such a focus on just that word you just used, which is authenticity. Like on just giving you thoughtful and authentic answers, no matter whether it's a football question or a life question. And he has emphasized, you know, in most of these pressers that, yeah, he just wants to help his players get the most out of themselves, help other people, help everyone around the building. And that seems to be a pretty cool nature to have in a head football coach who, you know, obviously has control over so much. When I visited with him at a hotel suite in Indianapolis, I believe it was Indianapolis at the Combine before the season, 
that was kind of a get to know you session. Yeah. Uh, he mentioned to me that he thinks that one of the most important qualities for anyone to have is humor. And I was like, what? I, huh. I'd never heard a coach say that ever. It just gives wow. you, you know, humor really. Wow. You know, not, not just structure, discipline and organization and toughness humor. <laughs> wow. I was like, yeah, man. Yeah, right. It's just fascinating to to see that type of person in this type of leadership position. And I think that it, it, it's hopefully there are more and more personalities like Mike McDaniel who continue to spread throughout coaching. Um, I want to go personally to your career here for a second because you've covered the Dolphins for eight seasons, but you left the Finns for about a decade to cover college football at ESPN. And now you're back here. So a lot has changed with the franchise in that time. A lot has probably changed for you. And a lot has changed in the way we disseminate information as media. So I kind of want to know, how do you think that your time spent covering college football impacted now the the writer, the media member that you are as you've returned back to South Florida and back to NFL coverage? Well, I mean, Jeremy, I'm definitely like a lot more relaxed in my approach. <laughs> Sure. From 02 to 04, I was covering very good teams with Ricky Williams and Jason Taylor and Zach right. Thomas and Patrick Sertan and Sam Madison. And those guys, and Ricky Williams, those guys really kind of taught me at a young age, uh, hey, uh, that was a good question and that wasn't such a good question. That was a good column and that wasn't such a good column. And I really learned a lot. Uh, back then as a young journalist, but I was like pushing full throttle so hard because I wanted to like make a place like ESPN. And I did, it was, it succeeded. I was at ESPN for 11 years. And back then, one thing that hasn't changed is that from 02 to 04, and now this being my seventh year, seventh season back seventh on the beat, season. three years of Gase, three years of Flores, one year of McDaniel. So a total of seven, a uh, total of nine, this is my, my ninth year, mm. it completed. Um, is that I try to bring to my approach with coaches or athletes um, and, and empathy. You know, I get that they're human beings. They're not just sound bites. And that's something that has never changed for me and never will. You try to develop relationships. You try to uh, show them respect and they show you respect. Um, and, and, you know, and I really missed having the locker room access. In college football, there's generally no locker room access. Right. I missed that in the NFL. Of course, when I came back, there was a lot of COVID time where there was no locker room access. And I really think that journalism suffered. Um, the content that uh, our readers and viewers were getting uh, suffered, even if the fans maybe you know really get all the, the nuances of why right. the stories aren't going to be quite as good, you know? Right. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, what stuck with me about what you just said and relating it back to the previous question is, again, knowing that all of these people that you're working with are human beings. They're not just sound bites. They're not just quotes. And that's the same mindset that we were just talking about with Mike McDaniel of treating all of the players like they're human beings and trying to get the most out of them, not just physically, but also mentally. And I think that that's having that empathy in sports is something we've talked about a lot on this podcast in particular. And when we speak with players, I, I try to go for some of the same thing. So, you know, it's, it's all about um, just understanding that, that everybody within this sports community is a human being. And so getting to the crux of that is important thus far for you. And there's a lot more time left in this season. 
where does this season stack up for you amongst sort of the fun teams to cover in your you know, now ninth season of doing this, you know, you just mentioned some really fun personalities and interesting personalities you were around in, in, in the early days. Um, where does this stand out for you? Well, my first season back on the NFL beat was 2016. Yeah. And that was a very unique season because it was my first season back and it was Adam Gase's first season. Mm-hmm. And you had Cam Wake on the team and you had guys like Jay Ajayi and Jarvis Landry and Rashad Jones and Mike Pouncey, and that team did make the playoffs. And they were they were come from behind games, and there were dramatic games, and there were overtime games. And there was an overtime game at Buffalo with a game-winning kick in poor conditions. Uh, and so that, that was the most fun that I had. I really enjoyed that 2016 season. And there are some similarities. You know, obviously, Gase and McDaniel are both uh, offensive minded guru types you know um and it you know i think mcdaniel's gonna work out better than gaze did right yeah that's that's certainly the hope um you know i remember those early days of gaze as well because my first year um working professionally down here was as an associate producer at wsvn in 2017 so gaze's second season and just kind of you know being the newbie going around and, and sitting in on those press conferences with with you know uh the photographer Pete or being there with Donovan Campbell or Mike DePasquale and just hanging out and being around you guys and, and absorbing all the questions that were being asked and the interactions with Gase. And I always found it to be a really fascinating environment and it definitely shaped the way that that I now ask questions in those, you know, bigger pressers, whether it's the Heat, the Marlins, the Panthers, whatever um, team it might be. Um, before we wrap up with expectations moving forward, I do want to uh, take a chance here to plug your latest work in the Palm Beach Post um, with Mike Gesicki opening up about his feelings right now after three straight games without a catch. Um, what did Gesicki have to say and what was illuminating about his words to you? Yeah, I mean, I've known Mike for five years. This is his right. fifth season. And so we had a lot of conversations back when he was really struggling in his first couple of years. And a lot of people were describing him as a bust. And and so I have a good relationship with him. And I was glad I was able to do that one-on-one um, with him. And you know, he's, he's been a professional all year long. He has not whined, complained, publicly demanded a trade, expressed regret. If you read all the comments, and I put everything in there that he said, there are little lines that stand out. You know, I don't call the plays, which he right. doesn't. Right. He's basically saying there's some things I can't control. And he also said the phrase club friendly. He said, you know, I I did what I thought was friendly for the club. I tried to be club friendly by agreeing to sign that one-year deal. Listen, it's better for everyone that Kasiki's not locked into some crazy four, five, six-year deal because clearly he's not a great fit for this particular scheme. So Kasiki can go ahead and go elsewhere next year. He's 27 years old to probably get, I'm trying to think of the, there's two tight ends on the Patriots, Hunter Henry right. and Jonu Smith, similar to contracts to those guys, look yeah. them up, whatever they are. And, and so he and his family will be set, probably not going to get to live in South Florida, but, um, but Mike, I, I respect that he has um, been uh, emotionally mature and hasn't popped off all season. And later, uh, later uh, between now and kickoff, I'll go ahead and put together a story about all the the ways the Dolphins are trying to prepare for the cold, which I find hilarious. Oh, that'll be fun. I really am excited to hear all those details. That's going to be fun. I look forward to reading it. And yeah, Mike Mike seems to be a really good guy, has been since you know the day he came in as a rookie, pr- pretty mature kid um, when he first came in. Now, as we wrap this up, um, before I let you go, 
I just want to talk expectations for the rest of this season, right? You know, let's look at this season in a bubble, not not looking beyond and what the future is for Tua and everybody else. But this season, how high should expectations be for, for Dolphins fans? Should it be, hey, a playoff berth and a playoff game, and that's a great first step in a first season? Or is it fair to, given some of the dominance that we've seen, expect a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, the most likely scenario at this point is a 2-2 two and two finish over the last four games, which would be a 10-7 and seven season, which is not too dissimilar from what the Dolphins have, in all honesty, done in the pre- previous two seasons, not making uh, the playoffs with Brian Flores. So the sure. record would be slightly disappointing considering the Dolphins' start, not at the very beginning, but how they were rolling in the middle of the season. So, um, you know, do you go and lose a playoff game at Kansas City, uh, at uh, Cincinnati, at uh, Baltimore? You know, maybe. Uh, you know, and so, but does Tua play pretty well? Does Tua play pretty well over the last four games? Does Tua play pretty well in the playoff game, you know, that's really the most important thing, man. Right. Like, like there is nothing more important than ending the season feeling good about Tua as the future, as the franchise quarterback. He, he is, he seemed to have answered that question. And I think he's, you know, 85% of the way there, but now he's got to finish the job and get the Dolphins into the playoffs and at least perform well in a playoff game. Yeah. I think that's a great point where, you know, there's already been so many flashes of the things that you would want to see. There's already been so many entertaining games. You know, it's a shame that in some ways the record likely won't reflect how great this team has been when Tua is actually in there, given he missed that time um, and they lost those games. And so if in these next four, you're right, if he plays well, even if it's two and two and a loss at Kansas City or whoever in the postseason, if you get a great offensive performance, it certainly feels different than what, you know, 10 and seven or being right around 500 has felt in some of these other years, whether it be with Ryan Tannehill, a quarterback, Brian Flores as a coach, you know, all sorts of years of being right there in the middle of the pack. Um, but Joe Shad, you can follow him at Shad Joe on Twitter or find his work in the Palm Beach Post. Joe, thanks for taking the time today uh, to talk some Dolphins on Miami Mic'd Up. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Mic'd Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.